Hi there. Um, this is Shoshana, aka, AKA RVC Bard. I'm back. Um, if you're still listening, thank you. And uh, as I said before, uh, this is my first time doing this kind of thing, so bear with me if I'm a little rough around the edges. As a refresher, um, I'm for Shabbat Learning. I'm talking about horror and holiness. And as part of this series of little audio talks, I'm going to be examining sections of the Tanakh and the Talmud through a horror lens. And the point, um, what, we're, what I'm trying to do here, is to understand the role of horror in uh, the human encounter with the divine. Um, like, you know, we're trying to look at what kind of horror are we dealing with, um, and, you know, can we sanctify it in some way, and if so, how? Um, <clears throat> so, we're going to start off by looking at uh, one of the plagues of Egypt. And I know that with like, COVID-19, you know, it feels like we're in a plague right now. And, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, I get it. But, um, you know, this, this, you know, because Pesach was a few weeks ago, you know, I still, I still want to take a closer look. Um, um, and one in particular, the plague of darkness. Um, yeah, um, the death of the firstborn gets a lot of airtime. I mean, I get it. It's the most dramatic of the plagues. It's the most um, morally problematic. It's uh, it's um, it's, you know, we got a lot of juicy bits in there. Um, but I want to spend more time on darkness because it seems so unlike the other ones it you know it's not quite it just it, you know no one's it doesn't do anybody any direct physical harm let me put it that way now to open up i'm going to share what the torah says about the plague of darkness and uh and it says follows uh in vaikra or exodus 10 21 through 23 then the Lord said to Moses, Hold out your arm toward the sky that there may be darkness upon the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be touched. Moses held out his arm toward the sky, and thick darkness descended upon all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another, and for three days no one could get up from where he was. But all the Israelites enjoyed light in their dwellings. Okay, so many questions. Um, first of all, why is this, the plague of darkness, the ninth of ten plagues? Um, if we assume that the plagues are in order of, you know, escalating devastation, something really deep must be going on here. So, the first thing I, I want to know is, like, what is the nature of this darkness? You know, what, what kind of darkness are we talking about here? Is it just, you know, simply the absence of light? Um, let me, let's go back to the passage and see what it says. Okay. Hold on. Hold on to your arms with this guy. A darkness that can be touched. And then they go, people could not see one another, and for three days no one could get up from where he was. Okay. From the way they described it, it's just, there's something deeply awful about this darkness. It's not just a, 
it's just not like a lack of light it's not just you know not being able to see you know what it reminds me of actually it reminds me of the unlight of Mongolian now I want to explain this to those of you who are listening who are not complete nerds like yours truly um, in the Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien now you may recall him as the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings he wrote he had another thing where he really talks about the history of Middle-earth um, they're basically compiled from his notes about that history so the Silmarillion there is a being named Ungoliant who was a corrupted angelic entity who took the form of a giant spider and the thing about her is that she's consumed with ceaseless hunger utterly malevolent and she really thirsts for light and one of the notable things about her is that she weaves um, her webs um, out of what Tolkien calls her unlight and I want to describe it for you a little bit so that um, to give you a sense because it's not just shadows it's not just a uh, a visual a visual thing he says that um, in that hour was made of darkness that seemed not a lack but a thing with being of its own for it was indeed made by malice out of light and it had the power to pierce the eye and to enter the heart and mind and strangle the very will so so this is a, a natural darkness it's not a shadow it's not the mere absence of light it's a tangible substance that 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 does more than make it hard to see it, it's this you know it has devastating psychological effects and and think about it and if you really think about it listen like there's some of that if you really if you like look at it a certain way there's some of that in in the passage um, listen again um, thick darkness descended upon all the land of Egypt for three days people could not see one another and for three days no one could get up from where he was so the the passage describes a darkness so all-encompassing that no one could even summon the will to move and if you think about it it's it, it's almost a kind of psychological horror you know like and I know that like the definition of psychological horror could be like clear as mud you know it's a little murky at times but let me narrow it down to like a, a couple of things that always are consistently show up first of all it's less about a direct physical threat than the mental and emotional vulnerabilities of the characters um, so that's why you have a lot of the stuff with like unreliable narrators you have the whole thing where people find out secrets of the universe and go insane and so on and so forth and the second part about psychological horror is that the scary part is what's implied or suggested not what's shown so excuse me I mean yes sometimes they show the monster but um, but most of the time that the thing that really works that really messes with you is the stuff you can imagine or the stuff you can kind of hint at or kind of look glance at from like a certain angle um 
it's the kind of distrust and paranoia and uh, fear of what your own mind is doing to you more so than like what what the thing actually is now with that being said since what's implied or suggested is where the horror comes from in this passage what is being suggested or implied about this particular encounter between God and humanity um, what, what's being implied or suggested through the plague of darkness now I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here and talk about the symbolism of darkness. Um, for a long time in Western culture, darkness has been synonymous with evil. Um, I don't make that association by default. In fact, it kind of annoys me when I'm reading or watching something and they automatically link dark to evil. Um, I know it's kind of ironic because I just talked about like a giant evil spider belching out uh, webs of uh, unlight but you know it's it's a kind of uh, storytelling shorthand that I get annoyed by because it's, you know there's no need for it um, and also you know black is my favorite color by the way to me and, and then I'm only speaking for myself darkness isn't evil or the absence of light at least not innately it's the fertile chaos that comes before creation. The infinite potential for being. Or, or what you may say, the cosmic womb that everything comes from and goes back to. Um, it's, its nature is ultimate mystery, utterly unknowable. So, well, when I imagine the divine presence. I don't imagine light. I really don't. Um, I imagine a kind of radiant darkness. It's it's the furthest I can stretch my mind to 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 conceptualize or describe it. I've tried to go further, but I just draw blank. It's it's not nothing. But I couldn't tell you what it was. Um of course, you may be thinking, well, is that frightening? To be confronted with the reality that you can't even imagine, let alone understand, yeah, it's kind of scary. I mean, it's kind of, it's not paralyzing, at least not for me, but that might just have to be with my comfort with not knowing. But um, to kind of bring this to back to the horror angle, like the... In the English language, right, we have a certain way of talking about fear and God. In most cases, to be God-fearing is to be afraid of what God will do to us if we don't behave ourselves. You know, it, it, you know, it conjures those, those feelings and images of like the angry, jealous, punitive sky daddy. You know, you know, and it's, and for obvious reasons, for very understandable reasons, a lot of modern progressive folks shy away from that in favor of a more caring, nurturing concept of God. Or no God at all, depending on how you define such a thing. Um, and that works too. But 
me being a horror fan, me and, and kind of, if not liking fear, not being afraid of fear, if, if that makes sense, it makes me wonder, you know, what if, like, instead of discarding the fear of God as this childish notion, we faced and, um, and unpacked what that means? Like, what if that fear is something more abstract, more complex, more existential? Like, that fear of what God is, not just what God can do. And, you know, it makes me wonder, like, how, how, how do we make space for that? You know, how do we, how can we sanctify that nagging sense of dread that shows up when my mind tries to go toward God? You know, how do we do that? How do we do that? Anyway, um, that wraps up the first segment, well, the, technically the second, but the first segment, um, I'm quite hungry, so I'm going to grab something to eat, and when I get back, I'm going to talk about Aaron's sons, who were consumed by fire. Again, thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a bit. <laughs> 